You're listening to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast, a product of the Oregon Basketball Coaches Association. To learn more, visit our website at or.nhsbca.org. Welcome to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. I'm Derek Duman. Today, we get to talk with Coach Bart Pollard, boys basketball coach at Marist Catholic High School. Coach, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing well. Staying busy, uh, getting ready for school to start here. Yeah, exciting, anxious times ahead of us. <laughs> we talked about it a little bit before. Uh, Coach, for those of you that, uh, for those listeners, excuse me, that might not be familiar with you and uh, kind of your basketball background, can you tell us a little about your your journey and how you ended up as the head boys basketball coach at Marist? Yeah, I mean, I. Uh... I grew up in Cottage Grove and played basketball uh, in high school and played for my father, who was the head coach there for 25 years or something like that. Um, After high school, uh, I spent some time um, down in Southern Oregon in Ashland uh, going to SOC there and um, ended up starting uh, to coach kind of my coaching career there. And um, I actually coached middle school basketball at at Ashland Middle School uh, for a couple of years. Uh, Coached the 8th grade B team, I think. I think there were four 8th grade teams. We practiced at 6 in the morning, and uh, I was one of the the 8th grade B coaches. So um, kind of an inauspicious start, but, you know, you got to start somewhere. Um, After transferring, I transferred to Oregon State, and then I coached for a couple of years, um, the first year as a freshman coach at Central Lynn High School, um, and uh, the second year I was more of a just a program assistant, kind of a varsity assistant there, and then once I finished at Oregon State, I started coaching in my hometown at Cottage Grove, and I coached the JV team for six years, I think. Um, so that was an interesting Moved back. Uh, I didn't ever really plan to, you know, move back to Cottage Grove, but it was it was a great place to kind of start. And um, I worked for my dad as a teacher, so that was interesting to have that that uh, unique uh, perspective after playing for him. And then um, after six years as a JV coach, I got hired as the the varsity coach and spent five years there. And uh, we had you know some good success there. I felt like and and then. Um, this year will be now be my tenth year at Marist as the head coach. So, yeah, what was it like to to play for your dad? I use I get to ask some coaches that get to coach their sons what that was like, but um, what was it like to have your dad be your high school basketball coach? Well, I I mean, growing up, I spent a lot of time in the gym and you know when I was really little it wasn't paying very close attention to what was going on on the court but um, as I got into upper elementary and middle school I started you know actually you know being in the gym and paying attention and shooting on the side and watching all the drills and in in addition you know I I get to hear about it after every game Um, my dad's kind of tradition would be to uh after the game, invite a couple of assistants over, um, and they'd sit at the at the kitchen table and just kind of go through everything that happened and what they needed to uh, work on in order to be successful the next time. And so for me, um, playing for him, I felt like I kind of got this inside track. Uh, I, I really had spent a lot of time listening and, you know, being around him, so uh, I felt like I kind of knew what his you know, thoughts were, what what is what he wanted out of um, whatever situation we were in, and and you know, for me, I thought I uh, it was a good experience. Um, he had high expectations for everybody, but it didn't seem like they were any higher for me, and I felt like I you know did what I needed to do in order to to play in that program and you know overall we had a really successful time there when when I was in high school so it was a great experience yeah that's great um <clears throat> you go to some different places obviously you know central land being a, a pretty small school uh and then you know to God's Grove and to Maris can you kind of compare uh maybe kind of that smaller school coaching experience to 
Marist and Cottage Grove, which maybe aren't big schools, but a lot bigger than than uh, Central Lynn. Yeah, uh, the Central Lynn was really interesting. I mean, obviously, I was in college pretty young, um, uh, but it was a young group of coaches. Uh, the head coach at the time was Tony Miller, and I worked with him for a couple of years. And you know, I think we we got second in the league two years in a row. Um, there were, like I said, the freshman team I coached the first year, and, and there were enough players to have that team that year. But the next year, we didn't have enough freshmen to have their own team. So, um, it you know, situations like that with the smaller schools, kind of you ride the amount of kids that that play instead of um, at Cottage Grove and Marist where we've always had a, a number of players and a number of good players um, to choose from. So quite a bit different. Um, when I when I went to Cottage Grove High School my freshman year, we were we were in the Midwestern League in the in the 4A division. So we were in the highest uh, classification at the time. And then my sophomore through senior years, um, we were in the 3A uh, out of four classifications. So Cottage Grove was, uh, you know, a little bit smaller, um, but not that much smaller than like a North Eugene High School or or even Churchill um, at the time. Um, but now Marist and the place that I teach and coach here, um, it's it's quite a bit smaller. I mean, we have, we have about 400 students um, at least going into this year and so the the uh, community and the connections that you know I can make in this size school are are are, are great, um, and I really value those. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between coaching at a public high school and even your own high school of like Cottage Grove to a private high school uh, like Marist? I think there's probably some some pretty big differences uh, between being able to coach at those. Can you, can you talk about some of those? Yeah. Um, Cottage Grove, that was a, a unique situation for me since I, you know, I was on, I went there and, but um, I felt like there were some kind of foundational things that we had to work through each and every day to make sure our kids were, were able to, to play, were able to be successful, you know, not only in the classroom, but um, in, in their, in their basketball experience as well. So at times it was great. And, you know, the, the players that I had at Cottage Grove are, are wonderful kids and they're all, they're, most of them are doing really well. And, you know, their families tried to support them well, but, you know, there are some issues that I just don't face here. Um, here, I think um, one of the things that I'm, you know, happier about or, you know, is the level of support that uh, the families give to their son's experience in the, in the program, and that's a great thing. They really they support their their kids in our program, and it's nice to have, you know, those parents that we can, or I can rely on, and and to be there and keep their kids um, ready to go for uh, whatever we're doing, um, whether it's practice or getting ready for a game. Um, they, they offer a, a lot of things that are, are advantageous. Um, and they're involved in their in their kids' experience in ways that are really positive. I think so. That's one of the the nice things about being at at Marist, a uh, private school. Because I, I never really thought, especially at Cottage Grove when we played against Marist, that I would I would end up here. Um, but being here, I've really enjoyed uh, the the kids, the players that I've had on my teams, and the 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 involvement they've had from there their families is, is really uh, refreshing. Yeah. What, what do you do for kind of your youth or feeder program? Uh, you know, a public school like Cottage Grove, you know, it kind of just naturally flows, right? Middle school to the high school, you kind of know who you're going to get. Uh, I know Marist, there's a, a, a private <clears throat> uh, middle school that some kids go to, but I'm sure you get kids can, kind of from all over. What, what is your feeder program? kind of look like and how do you use that to help you support your program yeah we uh we have two uh catholic uh k through eights or even pre-k through eights in eugene um so uh, quite a uh portion of our student population comes from those two catholic k through eights then there's a couple of private schools in eugene that we also are um get quite a few students from so you know oftentimes 
will I will uh, I'll go and watch the the middle school Catholic schools and then um, try to try to get you know a parent or a parent coach kind of involved and um, maybe doing some you know more broad based with all of the schools uh, teams and things like that and they can you know, play in the some of the uh, club stuff that happens at the middle school level but it's it's interesting yeah like you said. Um, the middle school and cottage grove feeds right into the high school and and here you know why we'd like to get every you know private school kid in the in the city and eugene springfield and, and the area surrounding we don't and um in addition we get quite a few of the kids from other um, public middle schools so it's it's always uh, kind of uh tenuous when we get to that uh, may and getting into summer league basketball prior to our our students freshman years and we kind of just offer up an opportunity and 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 the kids kind of take it and um i try to reach out a little bit and and offer you know the the coaches in the middle school and the, and the parents that help out as much of uh, my help as i can give so yeah coach you've been coaching for uh quite a while i think if, if i'm doing my math right has it been a couple decades maybe if you include your college years yeah I, if, uh, I if we include the the sub varsity stuff it's been about yeah. 20 a little over 20 years yeah yeah 20 years Fifth, or so that's great this will be my 15th year as the head coach so okay very cool um so you've obviously been playing coaching for quite a while um you know played for your dad how is your basketball philosophy or even basketball strategy changed from when you started coaching to to where you are now yeah we um as a head coach over the years i've kind of settled on you know defensively being a a good half court man-to-man defensive team um in the first couple of years i was a head coach we couldn't couldn't contain dribble penetration enough, and you know, everybody fights with that. So we played a little bit of matchup zone. And um, one year when I we were uh, we got to the semifinals in the in the five A tournament, we played some two three zone um, here. But for the most part, you know, strategy wise, uh, through the years, the fifteen years that I've been coaching, we've tried to tried to stop people and and man to man and you know that's pr- been pretty steady although you know sometimes you do things that uh, you wouldn't prefer because the the players that you have just don't match the system that you do so you know it's been one of those uh kind of philosophy things where we play man all the way through our programs and I try to get the sub varsity coaches to 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 teach it in the way that you know m- creates a good system at the varsity level um and i think you know for the most part we've done a pretty good job you know when we had good talent obviously it makes the biggest uh, difference but done pretty well um sticking with that as our kind of philosophy and strategy defensively and then (laughs) on the offensive end i mean i've done quite a few different things um ran dribble drive for a couple of years uh we've now gone to uh, kind of a motion sort of five out offense uh something mike nixick and i helped me with a little bit um but we really try to push more dribble penetration out of it than his sort of passing game type of rules and so you know i've i've tried to come up with something that um, i feel comfortable with and look at and try to match the the guys that are in the program at the time and and um you know for the most part i think we've we've had pretty good success um with the talent level that we've had so yeah you know and talking in my in my research uh for this interview i talked to just a few different other coaches and, and they did talk about kind of your team's discipline and ability to execute on on both ends of the floor um, and especially on the defensive end, you know, like you talked about, I think sometimes it's hard to get kids to buy in on that end. Um, so what are some of the things that you do or you think helps your kids um, have that discipline 
and buy-in on that defensive end to what you're teaching them. Well, I mean, one of the things is, and that's a, the great thing about being here, I mean, we just have really good kids here. And uh, I know uh, <laughs> I know that they are willing to, to listen and then, you know, try to do a good job. And and, a, and another thing that I've really tried to do, we spend a, a big portion of our practices just working on um, our our defensive system. Um, I you know, we, we practice for about an hour and a half to an hour and 45 minutes, and about 45 minutes of that is just focused on half-court man um, from working on, you know, one-on-one all the way to five-on-five uh, -five drills. Um, I, I don't think we do anything that's, you know, revolutionary, obviously, but our guys are disciplined, and, you know, we really talk about um, doing what you're supposed to do and not, not gambling. And because of that, we're able to, you know, contain the basketball, I think, um, and we're able to, to force difficult shots. And, and we get beat, you know, once in a while. We don't play as well as we'd like to, obviously. But, um, you know, I think they really recognize that we're not going to gamble and take chances, Um we're going to play within, you know, kind of our system that we've we've set up, and we're going to work on it uh, night after night after night. And and for me, you know, I, I kind of figured out that our uh, kind of the the environment in the gym and the way that I uh, bring, you know, kind of that um, excitement to different parts of our practices is a really fundamental and key thing um, to to get our guys to do what, a, you know, I, I want them to do, the coaching staff wants them to do the right way. And so I, I really try to ramp up my um, my excitement for our defensive drills. Um, you know, I, I get louder during our defensive stuff. I say, you know, the same things over and over. Um, I'm try to celebrate uh, the things that we do the right way in our system and so I try to make sure that my my excitement level even when you know it's the third practice in a long week you know um, is there so that our, our kids the players recognize that it's really important and um, and we're going to spend a lot of time on it and energy on it so that's one of the things I've gotten a lot better at is just to, as a you know coach over the years it's just to I've got to bring it each day bring it each day consistently and that's not something that I really realized until um, until later in the last few years of coaching I think yeah how have you maybe adapted uh, your system to defending the three-point line and even beyond I think that's something that we've seen as a trend in the game of basketball kids are becoming a little bit better shooters and, you know, when you watch the Currys and, and whatnot, the, the Lillards of the world, right, um, the three-point uh, shot has become a, a big a big deal. How, how have you kind of altered your system or reemphasized that with your kids to help defend the three-point shot? Yeah, I mean, going back to playing for my my dad in high school, we played like a pressure man-to-man -man system where we pushed baseline and, you know, helped across and, you know, ultimately, we do similar things. I, I talked to him a, a couple of years ago when he when he uh, started coaching at Cottage Grove the second time around after he'd retired from his day job. And the last couple of years, he's telling me he's going to play the pack line and do it a lot different. You know, I, I think it worked out pretty well for him, but I I just didn't – I couldn't adjust like that um, to all the things that I had done coaching-wise throughout my coaching career and even when I played – so as uh, penetration and um, skilled shooters have progressed, you know, through, you know, more modern basketball, I feel like there's even more of a necessity for being disciplined um, and not gambling. Uh, you know, the, the, the way that we have to stop dribble penetration, I think, is really specific, and so we practice that kind of specificity in the way that we help and recover. Um, one of the things we've tried to 
or I've tried to really emphasize and our staff has really emphasized is this idea of high hands all the time in our closeouts and that's really really key for um really key for I think guarding those deep perimeter shots um so there's some things that uh you know I just try to make sure I emphasize and and obviously we get beat. I mean, there's a kid from Marshfield last year that we just struggled with uh, guarding. He shot it from, you know, 30 feet, and he's a good player. And uh, we have to play him again this year, so we'll have to uh, try to emphasize some things to, to be able to stop him. But um, ultimately it's those high hands, the correct closeout position, um, making sure that we don't gamble and we keep guys in front. And you know, For the most part, it's worked for us over the years, I think. Yeah. With the amount of emphasis you put on man-to-man defense, uh, you know, I'm sure, especially at, at your level, there's probably some more zones. Uh, I mean, I guess you can kind of see it throughout the state, but how do you kind of prepare, right, if you're instilling all these man concepts? Do you guys have a zone? How do you practice against zone? What, is, what does that look like? Um, I don't know if this is a, a good thing to admit or not, but we didn't we didn't have a zone last year at all. Uh, uh, we've kind of we kind of skeletoned some things to play zone offense, and you know maybe that's not doesn't create for a situation where we have the best zone offense uh, attack. But you know, I, I feel like. We can only be good at, at so many things, and uh, you know, my dad told me this a, a long time ago as well. And you know, there's all kinds of ways to do it in basketball and be successful, but I don't think you can do it um, in, in a, a bunch of different ways and do it well. So you know, I, I just have spent a, a lot of time just kind of focused on um, being a good man-to-man team. Um, in 2015. I had a, a good team at Marist, and you know, like I said, we made it to the semis and had a shot to get into the finals. Just couldn't quite close out that game, and we we played man a lot of the year, and then we changed to a two-three zone uh, towards the end of the year. And my uh, assistant Chad DePauli, who's is a longtime coach as well, been coaching at Marist for probably twenty over twenty years, um, kind of had to convince me I'd never really played a two-three zone before. Um, so it was. It was strange and odd, and we we were a little bit flexible. But you know, the last couple of years, we just haven't had to, and um, we've been pretty successful with the way we've been able to control games playing man. And we haven't spent a lot of time, or in last year's case, any time uh, playing much zone. I think it was funny. We tried to put one of our seniors, JJ Anderson, who was a great player for us, um, in a, for a couple of years at the varsity level. He uh, he said, Coach, I, and we had him kind of skeleton playing 2-3 zone. He said, I don't know how to play this, Coach. He'd never really played zone before. So it was kind of odd hearing that from a senior. But um, we just we just don't spend time much on things that um, we're not going to do very well. Uh, I know that sounds kind of opposite, but um, it's just the way my kind of philosophy is. Stubborn sometimes, I guess. <laughs> No, that's great. <clears throat> I think the only thing that's going to hurt him in is City League basketball down the road, you know, because anybody yeah. plays in City League basketball. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what I'm doing. Yeah, uh, he'll, be, he'll struggle with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things I like to ask coaches, because I think it's important for, <clears throat> for all of us, is I think sometimes athletes nowadays, and you've talked about, you know, how lucky you've been with the kids that you have, but sometimes they have a hard time distinguishing between criticism and coaching. You know, like, hey, I'm just trying to coach you, but as coaches we get excited and and maybe it doesn't come across in in that way. How do you kind of navigate that fine line with your athletes of, you know, telling them that you're coaching them without them thinking that you're just criticizing them? Yeah, I I mean, I've struggled with with this throughout my years coaching as well. Um, I know somebody, one of my – superintendents that I had at one time said, yeah, you need to say six positive things for every, you know, critique. And um, so I try to make sure I work that in. It 
try to accentuate the, the positive things that kids are doing. But, you know, ultimately, you know, um, I think they need to do it the way that the, our philosophy is. And when they're not doing it that way, um, we try to figure out the reasons why. And that's that takes that um, ability to be coachable and take that critique. And, um, you know, I obviously, as you know, we all kind of, step over the line um, sometimes, but uh, I think that reflecting on on why kids are doing the things they're doing, um, how to get them um, to do it the way that uh, the program needs it to be done, those are things that I think can help so that, you know, coaches don't don't cross that line in ways that are, are negative with their, their athletes today because, yeah, it's a, it's a hard thing. Um, you want to quickly uh, critique and get it changed, but some some players uh, deal with that critique a lot better than others. So um, making sure that you know I have a decent relationship with with my players, um, the guys that I've had in my class, you know, that always helps because you build a relationship in ways that uh, isn't just between the blue lines. I try to. You know, make sure and check in on guys, see how they're doing, um, not just talk about, you know, basketball type of things and, and what they, they need to do on the court, but see how other aspects of their, their lives are. And one of the nice things about being an on-staff uh, head coach is being able to check in with kids and uh, during their day-to-day school. And I think that's so important to having uh, good relationships and building a strong program. Um, that leads to being able to, you know, tell guys they're not doing it the right way um, so that we can be successful. So it is difficult, yeah. though. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, all right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we'll return with more from Coach Bart Pollard right after this on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. OBCA is excited to announce the first annual OBCA Golf Tournament, October 10th at the OGA Golf Course in Woodburn, Oregon. Grab some friends, dust off your clubs, and join us for a great day of golf. To register, visit the website at tinyurl.com slash golf. We look forward to seeing you on October 10th. Welcome back to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Derek Duman here with Coach Bart Pollard from Marist Catholic High School. Uh, Coach, uh, you've worked with uh, a variety of different parents and administrators. Uh, what are some advice you have for coaches in dealing with both? Uh, we'll start with parents. What, what advice do you have for coaches in, in dealing with parents and getting them involved in your in your program? Um. You know, I think, you know, trying to create relationships with them is really important as well. I think ultimately if you have a, an issue uh, or they have an issue with something in the program, to listen I think is really important um, to listen first. A lot of times as a young coach I wanted to defend myself first and I've kind of realized that you know, my ego and the way that I do things isn't all that important anymore. It's it's about the the experience that you know their son is having in the program, and sometimes it takes you know a, a meeting or or some sort of um, issue to try to resolve and for that that kid to have a good experience in the program. And and I think that's that's the most important thing. And I've realized over the years, and maybe it's because now I have my own children, um, that they want to have their child have or their son have a good experience. And ultimately, that's what they're working for. And I think I'm trying to do the same thing as well. So early in my career, I was a little bit worried and anxious about having parent interactions and you know just as I've gained more and more experience and I've I've talked with my assistant coaches and things I think um, I've become more and more comfortable working together with parents through the years Um, our parents are want to help out in different ways so they'll set up team dinners and different um, kind of 
connecting activities for our players, and they're willing to kind of go the extra mile for our team. So working with that group um, is really important, I think. As an administrator, um, one of the things I learned is, just, again, just to, to listen. Uh, obviously, everybody has reasons why they they choose the things they do, and, and, and that's great. But I think, again, just going back to this idea that you kind of just have to listen, and it's not about um, my ego and you know how I see it. It's about the kids' experience, and I think that's that's uh, the key um, the key to being able to deal with you know, the parents that I've dealt with, and and again about the administrator with the administrators as well. It'll be interesting. This is the first year that I've been um, the athletic director. I was an associate athletic director for the years that I've been here and the nine years, but this will be an interesting change um, mm-hmm. in dealing with you know, parents and coaches in, in kind of new ways. So I'm looking forward to that, but uh, there's also gonna, going to be kind of a steep learning curve, I think. Yeah. So. What, <clears throat> uh, you know, parent involvement, that's something personally I'm, I'm working on as well. And, and you've noted that you have a lot of parents that, that are interested and they want to be a part of your program. What, what all do your parents contribute to your program? Like, what are some creative ways that we as coaches can get them involved? You mentioned team meals. So is there anything else that you have parents involved with? Um, we, the last couple of years, we've had pretty good success, and you know, I've been had, been fortunate enough to play in the state tournament, and our parents have set up, you know, kind of baskets for our kids and. They've done team meals throughout, and they're willing to um, help with help with when we have like our winter tournaments, our holiday tournaments. They're willing to help with um, some of the the lodging stuff and the meals that go into that. So there's been a lot of ways to try to to get the parents involved, especially involved in um, just their the the overall uh, team part of it, without necessarily me having to do um, much of it. And usually there's um, one of the senior parents or the upperclassmen parents at least that will uh, take some of that on and sort of lead the other parents in um, ways to help you know, contribute. And, and they're able to sort of help our team do some kind of bonding things, which is, is nice. Like I said, team dinners and with uh, all of the holiday tournaments, you know, that we have. And, I mean, we seems like last year I think we played in three different tournaments, even before the state tournament. We were able to, you know, spend quite a bit of time together um, as a team. And and the parents took on, you know, kind of the dinners for that and some of the things that, that were really nice um, for the boys on the team and allowed us to, to uh, have experiences that built that team community. Right. That's great. Um, kind of thinking on the flip side, maybe as, as a head coach, uh, you've had the opportunity to hire and work with some different assistant coaches. Um, what what are the expectations that you have for your assistant coaches, and and how do you help them develop in their uh, journey of, of being a basketball coach? Yeah, that's a that's a tough question. I uh, as I said earlier, I think um, we try to get our all of our teams, our three teams that we have at, you know, in the school, to um, can run a, run the same system. So I ask that my sub varsity coaches and my assistants um, learn how to be good man to man coaches, and you know try to sort of emulate what we're doing on offense as well um, within the system. So that's one of the the key things. I think um, having assistants. Over the years, um, I'm really grateful for um, the ones that are able to have a similar experience that I do being a teacher and a coach. Um, having assistants that are in the building it makes it a lot easier on me uh, because our players are able to build relationships with those teachers as well. So that's one of the things that I've tried to tried to build up is um, getting our administrators, working with our administrators to try to hire more coaches on our teaching staff as well. Um, so that allows, you know, for for me, I have a couple of, or I've had a couple of coaches on staff here at Marist, and 
when I was at Cottage Grove, I was really lucky. I had um, four out of my five coaches were on staff, uh, teachers and administrators at, at the high school. So I think uh, trying to, you know, get those assistant coaches to, to do the program parts, the pro, all of the program philosophy and strategies, and then also trying to um, hire as many people that are understand all of the ins and outs of school for our, our student-athletes is, is really important. Um, to develop them, um, I think, you know, being around me, I think they they get a, an understanding that you have to fo- that you have to focus and try to control you know just a couple of things and do those things really well and um, one of my assistants was a, the head coach at Pleasant Hill for the last four years he, I worked with him for 10 years at Cottage Grove and he, he did a great job uh, Matt Thornton and then another one that played and coached with me um, played for me at Cottage Grove and then coached with me at, at at Marist actually is the head coach at Cottage Grove now, and I think if you ask those guys, um, you know what they would say about me, they, you know, say that we we focus on just a few things and we try to do those things really well to the best that we're capable of, and and uh, those are those are the ways that um, I think our our philosophy and strategy can, or my philosophy and strategy can kind of push through the assistance that I've had, and I I, I try to. You know, try to talk to them individually about, you know, you can you can kind of choose the way you want to play a little bit within, but you've got to teach, you know, man-to-man principles. And I think, you know, most of your, your time on defense should be during a game and in practices should be spent working on man-to-man principles. And, and uh, for the most part, my assistant coaches have done a great job of, you know, working within our system and, and my expectations anyway. And I've really enjoyed all the, all the guys that I've worked with. Um, I, one of the things I've always liked, I was able, fortunate enough um, at Cottage Grove uh, to have my dad be my assistant uh, for five years. And that was, I learned so much uh, as a young head coach, having that experienced mentor um, be able to work with our guys as well and kind of, you know, obviously I played for him and, and have been around him, you know, all my life, but just being able to coach with him um, really opened my eyes on, I think, ways to do it successfully. And so that was uh, something that I would, you know, pass on to guys that want to be head coaches is find some some experienced um, former coaches or guys that still want to do it that can really help you in ways that, you know, you might not even think about. Um, that's something that's been huge for me. So. Yeah, I think that's great. I, I know I, I have two former head coaches on my staff and uh, it's, it's huge. I think like you're saying, it's just so helpful to have those calm, mature voices on the, on the bench with you. Yeah. And I mean, just, uh, I'd like, you know, I like guys to, because I'm thinking about what we need to do, you know, making decisions during games, and to hear their perspective, and for, even if I don't um, choose to do it that way, just to to listen to um, some, some differing ideas is something that I cherish in my assistants. Um, being being you know being uh, in in a place where they can actually suggest things and and uh, bounce ideas off of me is, is really helpful. So so this will be your first year as athletic director, uh, you mentioned, and, and you spent some time as the assistant athletic director. Um, <clears throat> what are some things, I'm sure you've been involved in some interview processes, uh, what are some things as an athletic director that you look for in potential head coaching candidates? Um, I think the biggest thing is being able to com- communicate well. I think that's a, that's a key. Um, another important uh, thing is to be organized. Uh, these are kind of generic, but I mean, in an interview process, and those are those are two big um, keys that I look for. 
Um, obviously, as a, an athletic director working, overseeing, you know, an entire athletic department, different coaches, uh, I'm looking for head coaches who are willing to, to work with other other programs, other coaches. Um, we, we're, we're only a school of 400, 450, and we share athletes a lot of, we had a, a workout today, and you know, I looked across the gym, and almost every guy in there played at least another sport, if not two other sports. So our cohesiveness as a department, um, our willingness to, to get along as, as coaches uh, is something that I want to build in our athletic department as well. So I'm you know, looking for that the ability to communicate well, uh, being organized, and then um, the willingness to work together with other coaches. Obviously, experience level is something that <laughs> athletic directors were always looking for, guys that have experience. But um, even beyond that, um, knowing knowing the game, um, and then and then being able to to be organized and communicate, I think are are, are two big ones. Yeah, what advice would you give, let's say, <clears throat> a coach listening is preparing for a, a head coaching uh, interview? Uh, maybe, you know, it's not with you, obviously, but it's with another athletic director. Uh, what advice would you have for them as far as preparing for that interview and, and kind of what they need to, to do to be ready? Um, I would think trying to make sure to communicate and recognize how the athletic experience build, help build, you know, a well-rounded um, high school experience for student athletes. Um, obviously, you know, as a basketball coach, I really want to push basketball, basketball, basketball. But it, you know, for m- most of my my basketball players. Um, they're not here at school to just be basketball players. They want to be good student athletes, great student athletes. So just making sure to communicate and recognize um, that, that being part, you're a part of your program's a part of um, that school. And it's, and it's for a lot of players, it's, it's a big part, but it's not, not the only part. And I think, uh, you know, listening for that in interviews is is a key thing that I would I would pass along to to guys that are wanting to be head coaches or um, taking part in their first interviews. Yeah. <clears throat> for guys or or gals that are are starting their first year, obviously this year's going to be a little different. Uh, we're dealing with a pandemic, um, so it's not quite the same with summer basketball and and such, but. Um, yeah, that's been what strange, hasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's been bizarre. Um, I can only imagine, you know, trying to take over as a head coach right now. Um, but I guess what advice would you have for those coaches? Uh, you've gotten to do that a couple times. You know, in their first year, uh, I'm sure you remember, there's just so much going on. You've got so many ideas. What advice do you have for them as they get their program started that they maybe need to focus on to make sure that it starts off on the right foot? Um, I, one of the things I would say is obviously to be flexible, but also to ex- recognize um, kind of your core philosophies um, and try to stick through it, even stick to it, even though there's so much uncertainty. Um, like I've talked about, you know, we're, we want to focus on our defensive system and, and that's uh, something that I can, I can continue to work toward even with the, the uncertainty that, that's, uh, that's going on right now. Um, I think trying to develop, uh, great relationships with the players is, is another key kind of tenant, even working through this, this time. I mean, getting getting those kids if you can anyway getting them in the gym and just building those relationships by rebounding for them as they're shooting or whatever you can do based on the guidelines right now but um yeah it's 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 a different different time i know i i was told my my wife um this will be the first time in 20 some years where we can have like a regular thanksgiving it'll be really strange i know 
she's kind of looking forward to that. But the the yeah. I think the June um, time was really bizarre for me. So just yeah, haven't had that experience. So yeah. uh, I wish these young coaches good luck. Yeah, no kidding. So which is all good luck. I think we're all yeah, going to need it. Exactly. Um, how have you tried to work with your team during this pandemic and? What ideas do you have as as we approach starting the season in late December? Uh, what what kind of are you thinking right now? Maybe obviously we don't know any answers, but any ideas you have for others that are struggling? Um, well, I, I I mean I think uh, getting guys in in the weight room is key. Um, that's one of the things that I've stressed over the last few years. Uh, we played a State tournament quarterfinal game against Banks two years ago, and and they were big, strong athletes, just stronger than us, and kind of uh, reinstilled this you know, idea that we really need to get bigger and stronger in the weight room. So I, I think I think there's a place right now um, with the start of the season pushed back to if you know you can access facilities anyway to to really focus on other aspects that we obviously can't, you know, play basketball right now, but we can, our guys can work on becoming um, better athletes. And so I've really tried to really push that. Um, Our guys work pretty hard in the weight room and, you know, they're willing to do some agility type of things. So we've, well, we've been able to get in the weight room and then we go out on our field and, and work out for, you know, 15, 20 minutes outside. It's been, uh, a situation that's helped us to, you know, work through the disappointment of not having a summer season and not being able to last year to play in the, in the state tournament. And, and that's really helped us. But, you know, those are things that I've been able to kind of control, um, even though I can't help allow us to play real basketball, we can, you know, focus on some other things that obviously lead to success as well. And, getting into the weight room and working on our uh, strength and athleticism is, is one of the keys to, I think, our success. We really committed to that last um, last year. Um, and, you know, I had a great leader on my team, uh, Nick Stice, who ended up being like the Oregonian 4A player of the year. And he said, hey, coach, I want to, I wanna, you know, you know, the goal of every kid, I want to win the state championship. And I said, well, that's great. How are you going to get other guys uh, around you to want that as badly as you do? And he took that to heart and was able to really push our guys in the weight room and in their workouts. And um, I think that really helped, you know, uh, since he's graduated in, in June to instill kind of that, uh, that mindset in the next group that's coming up through the program. Now they're really willing to, to work hard and devote time and energy in the weight room, in part because I think he was such a good leader uh, this last year. Yeah, that's huge. How did you, <clears throat> for those that don't know, I mean, you guys were uh, about to play in the state tournament. Um, you were the first game, I think, on the boys' side at the boys' state tournament when, when everything got shut down. Um, and obviously, you know, like you are mentioning, uh, had a lot of high hopes. You were the number one seed uh, going into the tournament. Um, how did how did you handle that with with your kids? Um, you know, especially those seniors that, like you mentioned, that built toward this. It was something they really wanted. And, uh, I mean, how did you how do you address that with your guys? Uh, I I just tried to stay upbeat and and uh, recognize the contributions that they they made um and it was it was devastating you know everybody i think that was still going you were in the same position um it was just uh one of those where you know they they sacrificed you know a lot and it's great to to make those sacrifices for others um in our community as well but but um trying to stay upbeat uh we were riding in our activity bus up to the game when we got the call and you know, all of the guys wanted to stay together and ride all the way back um, together to the school, and and that that 
I think that camaraderie that we had built as a team helped us get through at least the the news in, in the first day. And then one of our parents put together kind of a party thing in the in the evening, and then you know the next day school was shut down. So um, for our guys, while they didn't have that experience, I think you know as they look back on it, they'll have uh, good fond memories of. You know, for Nick and JJ, especially of their senior year and even the juniors of the experience they had with their teammates. So it's been difficult, but um, yeah, but just working through trying to stay together is, is one of the keys, I think. Yeah, that's great. All right, we're going to take another break. Uh, when we return, Coach Pollard will try to beat the shot clock here on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Want more from the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast? You can listen to all our episodes at our website, anchor.fm slash OBCA, or subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay up to date with the Oregon Basketball Coaches Association on social media, at facebook.com slash OregonBCA, or on Twitter at ORHoopCoaches. Welcome back to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. We're talking with Bart Pollard, boys basketball coach at Marist Catholic High School. Uh, Coach, for my next set of questions, uh, I'm going to put 35 seconds on a timer, and I'm going to ask you some rapid-fire questions that should really have one to two word answers, hopefully. Um, and then anything uh, else that we can talk about after we get through the shot clock, uh, we'll follow up on after that. So how's that sound? Sounds great. All right. Shot clock possession starting now. Do you think Oregon high school basketball should have a shot clock? Yes. Should it be implemented at the sub-varsity level? No. If you're up three points with less than 10 seconds, do you foul? Depends on the situation. No. My dad What's your would favorite? <laughs> What's your favorite way to guard on balls? Hedge and get over the top, but we do about four different things depending on the team that we have to play. How do you celebrate after a big win? We sing our fight song in the locker room. Time. That's good, Coach. I like that. That was good yeah. work. Good good possession there, Coach. Good possession. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, that was good. Um, so, obviously, you know, one of the reasons we have this segment is the shot class is kind of a, uh, a hot topic uh, within Oregon high school basketball, but also across the country. So, uh, you'd mentioned you would be in favor of a, a shot clock. Can you kind of elaborate on that answer a little bit? Uh, I think it keeps it a little more exciting. I think it will fundamentally change the way that we play here in Oregon. Um, I don't know. It'll, it'll be interesting to see the way it changes, you know, both offense and defense. But I think I think I'm I'm ready for it. Um, I think you know 35 seconds or would be a, a good place to start and um, see, see what it's like. Uh, you know, obviously I've gone and played uh, different um, summer league things in in Washington or in other places, and they have one, and it, it's a different experience. and And uh, I think it'll change basketball a lot, but it'll I hopefully make it a little more exciting. I know, you know some we're we're pretty good at um, at strategy-wise of uh, really trying to work for good shots at the offensive end. And while um, we try to reverse the basketball and, and really force you know hard closeouts so we can dribble, penetrate, and things like that, and once in a while we're pretty patient. I, I don't know that it would change that much of what we would try to do. I, there's not a lot of positions where we're – we're kind of holding it for much longer than you know 35 seconds. So I, I don't know if it would 
it would totally change what we do, but I think um, there would be some different strategy that would help to, to shift uh, basketball in Oregon a little bit. So, yeah. How do you uh, choose team captains? What does that process look like? It's kind of just organically our oftentimes one of our seniors is our best leader and you now we don't I haven't done a, a vote type of situation in recent years. Uh, I, in the spring after the season, we'll sit down with our our returning guys and and have a meeting and conversation about what the goals are individually and, and team wise. And it seems like out of those goal meetings, it's kind of easy to figure out who the the really good leaders are and and who sort of wants to step into that team captain role. Um, and you know, one of the things that I, I think I could do a much better job with that aspect of our team. Um, but I think our seniors, oftentimes, one or two of them, have kind of just stepped into that role and and done a good job with it. And I I don't have any any great suggestions in, in how that works. Um, but it seems to work out each and every year. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I like to ask all the most of the coaches I have on just because it's fun to see how people do it and why that is. But I mean, if that works, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, what's one of your favorite team building activities that you do to kind of build that chemistry and camaraderie within your team? I think uh, those team dinners that I spoke about are are important, um, and they really help to build. Uh, that chemistry outside of our practice times. Um, we also do um, we do mass before some of our games. We try to go to mass, uh, you know, three or four or five times per per season, and so that kind of builds helps to build some chemistry there with with our with our team. Um, but you know, overall, I think uh, our team chemistry has been pretty good. We we in the past, in past years, I've always tried to hit one of the the summer um, team camps. Like we'll go up to Gonzaga team camp once every couple of years, and you know, just that trip in general creates some cohesiveness, more camaraderie in our team. I think is important. And things like that help to, I think, build. We've had pretty good teams that have gotten along with each other pretty well. The last thing that I'll mention is just um, working out together in the weight room. I think it really builds team chemistry and cohesiveness. Um, and I, you're, when they have to come together and sweat together in ways that aren't necessarily just practice, but they do it um, in their workouts, they know that they can rely on other guys, their teammates to to work hard um, to to make themselves better individuals, but a better team. I think that camaraderie is really built through um, our shared like weight room experience. Uh, that's one of the things that I would I would definitely do because in today today's day and age, you know, a lot of a, a lot of guys have their own personal trainer, and that's great and everything. But I think having that shared experience of being in the weight room together um, really builds a, a chemistry and camaraderie that uh, that um, is pretty organic in the way that it comes about, I think. so. Yeah, that's good. Do you have a favorite drill? Um, we just try to do competitive stuff, time and score, mm -hmm. competitive stuff as much as we can. Um, cutthroat stuff on defense where we really specify what offense can do, um, I think is, is a big one. We are in all of our offensive stuff, um, even though we we ran dribble drive for, I ran dribble drive for about five years, six years. Um, I, I don't really allow more than two dribbles and mm. in practice most of the time. So um, I think, you know, whether it's our, cutthroat defensive drill or some sort of cutthroat offensive drill, you know, those are kind of time and score sort of drills are, are the ones that I like the best. Um, and we try to try to do all as much as we can with some sort of competition because um, I think 
you know, that drives the guys' level or players' levels, you know, up when they're competitive and they get after each other in practice. So, cutthroat yeah. drill. I like it. I like it. Well, Coach, that's all I got for you today. Thank you so much for uh, spending the time chatting with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Derek. This has been great. If you have any follow-up questions or want to get a hold of Coach Pollard, you can find his contact information in the episode description. We hope you'll join us next time here on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Until then, coach him up. Thank you for listening to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Is there a coach you'd like to hear from or a topic you'd like to hear us discuss? You can write us a message on the Anchor website or send us an email at OregonBasketballCoaches at gmail.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify.